I mentioned earlier in the service that I've selected Breathe On Me Breath of God as the backdrop for our thinking this morning. I did so in part because I have wonderful memories of singing it with the beloved congregation of my childhood and youth, the 85th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, and I guess I've enjoyed singing it everywhere else that Karen and I have served on staff in the many years since then. I love its melody and I love its message. But Breathe On Me Breath of God ended up being my choice for today's message for another perhaps more important reason, and here it is. It seems to me that a whole lot of biblical theology about our salvation is tied up and summarized in the stanzas of this hymn. Let me say that again. I think that so much of what you and I believe about our relationship to God with Christ and the Holy Spirit, past, present, and future is traced in the beautiful words of this hymn, and it never hurts to be reminded of that, does it? So over these next several minutes, I would ask you to consider with me three doctrinal insights Three ideas from the Scripture that many of us cut our teeth on. Things that are reflected in this hymn about our salvation. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Fancy words that simply have to do with the steps of our journey as people of faith. Stages or tenses of our salvation. We have been justified. We are being sanctified and we shall be glorified. But before we look at those three basic points, let me offer just one bit of explanation to set the stage. And I've sort of alluded to it already. If you were with us for prayer meeting on Zoom a few weeks ago, you'll recall that Austin shared with us as we were preparing for Pentecost that the word for God's Spirit in the Old Testament is ruach. R-U-A-C-H, Ruach. It simply means power, but it's generally viewed as thunderous power, incredible power, turbulent power. Genesis, for example, talks about the Ruach moving across vast nothingness and creation was set into motion. Isaiah talks about the Ruach, Spirit of God, moving around and among flowers which then wither and die. So what about the New Testament? Where in the New Testament do we find this idea of God's Spirit? The term there is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma, from which we get our modern words pneumatic and pneumonia, having to do with air. It's the idea of air or wind or breath pent up, harnessed, air or wind or breath without which our mortal bodies cannot survive air under pressure, under power, that when concentrated and specifically directed can lift an automobile off the ground or drive a nail through a two-by-four. John 16, verse 8, when the pneuma spirit of God comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And in the book of Acts, of course, we're reminded that the pneuma spirit of God moved among our brothers and sisters at Pentecost with a mighty rushing wind and with tongues of fire, just to cite a couple of examples. 
Now, I said all that to say that the Spirit of God and the breath of God are pretty much the same. In the Holy Scriptures, they are synonymous. They are interchangeable. So when we talk about a hymn like, Breathe on me, breath of God, we're talking about the Spirit of God. In fact, if we were all here in the sanctuary and had our hymnals open, we would find this quote at the bottom of the page where the words to that hymn are printed. And I quote, In both Greek and Hebrew, the Spirit can be translated breath or wind. So breathe on me, breath of God, is a prayer for God's Spirit to work in us and on us and through us and among us. Okay, so now back to the outline. Remember, we're talking about three ideas, three doctrinal understandings, three stages, three tenses, if you will, of our salvation that come to mind when we sing this hymn. Here's point number one I want to share. When we sing verse one of breathe on me breath of God, we are called to reflect on justification. Justification. We have been justified. That's the first step in our spiritual journey, isn't it? Past tense for most of us. The New Westminster Dictionary of the Bible describes the word as a legal word, meaning to be acquitted, to be accounted as righteous. Romans chapter 3 puts it this way, what shall we conclude then? All are under sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. They have all turned away and become worthless, but now a righteousness from God has been made known. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. They are justified freely by His grace. Justified by His grace. See the doctrine there? By God's grace we are acquitted. His ruach and pneuma power have breathed on us and through what He did in Christ we are accounted as righteous before Him. We have been justified upon our faith in Him and our response. Just one example of where we find this idea in Scripture, and we've looked at some other Scriptures in the responsive reading. The doctrine of justification is evident all through the Bible. Someone has said that playing on the syllables of this word a bit, that justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That's probably a little oversimplified, but it's not bad, is it? At least it's an easy way to remember the concept. Here again, the first verse of the songs that sustain us for today. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. There's the doctrine. New life, justification. That I may love what thou dost love, and do what thou wouldst do. Because of our understanding and because of our faith and because of our commitment to Christ and through the work of God's Spirit, we are changed from who we were and how we thought and where we were headed. We have been justified. Stage one of our salvation. 
W.C. Strickland in an encyclopedia for and about Baptists describes justification, and again I quote, as the redemptive act of God in Christ Jesus, whereby the sinner on response of faith becomes the saint. That's rich, isn't it? The sinner becomes the saint, loving God and doing what God does, the hymn says. And that leads me to the second idea I want to suggest this morning. Point number one is about justification, the beginning of the Christian experience that we're reminded of when we sing this great old hymn. Here's point number two. When we sing the second and third verses of Breathe on Me, Breath of God, we are reminded of the significance of sanctification, the present tense of our salvation the stage in which we are growing toward the image of God, the one who made it possible to start with. We are learning what we were created to be and who we were redeemed to be. In sanctification, we're moving beyond justification and the process lasts a lifetime. The process lasts a lifetime. Hear these words from the hymn again. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until with thee I have one will to do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, till I am wholly thine, until this earthly part of me glows with thy fire divine. The process of sanctification is moment by moment, isn't it? Day by day, week in and week out. It begins at conversion and continues until our hearts beat for the very last time. It's been defined as consecration or dedication to God which makes us holy. Scholar Charles Trenum says that sanctification is made possible through Christ which, and I quote again, releases the energy of the Holy Spirit. There's that breath of God thing again. Releases the energy of the Holy Spirit to transform and lift life to what God intends us to be. Someone else has said that sanctification is the process by which the very character of God becomes discernible in our lives. So where do we find this idea in the Scriptures? Several places, among many others. 1 Thessalonians 4. We have been instructed about how we should live in order to please God. He has called us to holiness. So love one another, work hard, lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and reflect on faith daily so that others will see it and respect it. 1 Thessalonians 5, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Hear the doctrine there? Ephesians 1, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless. I pray that you may know him better. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he ordained that we should walk in them. Walk worthy with lowliness and meekness and long-suffering. Let there be no lying or stealing or corrupt communication or bitterness or wrath, but instead be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. 
Philippians 3, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report, think on those things. All of that has to do with sanctification. And then we're very familiar with this one from Galatians 5, as our pastor reminds us of it every Sunday morning. The fruit of the Spirit, that is the evidence of God continually breathing into our lives and us appropriating that as we should, the proof of the pudding, if you will, of our being sanctified manifests itself in the practice of love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those of you who are at least as old as I am may remember the Christian comedian Jerry Clower from Mississippi. Back in the 60s, Jerry used to make commercials for the Yazoo Lawnmower Company. The trademark statement that Jerry always mentioned in those commercials was this, if you ain't Yazooing, you ain't mowing. Y'all remember that? If you ain't Yazooing, you ain't mowing. Dr. Trenum, whose work I referred to a moment ago, maintains that the only Christian is one who is being sanctified. In other words, Jerry Clower might say, if we ain't being sanctified, we ain't living the Christian life as it was intended. But here's the thing. And some of you are thinking it already. How in the world do we do that? Because left to our own devices, we take one step forward and two or three backwards, don't we? We are sinful by nature and we don't have the wherewithal to do much with this sanctification expectation, do we? We're certainly not the first believers to have that problem. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 26, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the Apostle Paul told the Romans, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do because of the sin that dwells in me. With my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, sin. That's a problem, isn't it? But lest we despair about that, Hear these encouraging words from the larger context of those passages I just referred to from Thessalonians and Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians. They hold the secret to how you and I can do sanctification. The bottom line, while we do have an ongoing privilege and mandate to grow in our walk with Christ, we don't have to do it alone are of our own accord. Listen. And the very God of peace sanctify you. Faithful is He who calleth you who will also do it. I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by the Spirit that Christ may dwell in you. God shall supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. His power, his spirit, his pneuma, his ruach. Friends, we don't have to do sanctification alone or of our own accord because God is more interested in our being sanctified than we are. And remember, we said that faith in Christ releases energy of the Holy Spirit to lift our lives to what God intends us to be. If we are willing, God will make it happen. Did you hear that? If we are willing, God will make sanctification happen in our lives. And like the old farmer said, if that don't, wet your, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Amen? We Baptists are big on the Great Commission found in Matthew 28 as well we should be. Let's not forget that that passage begins with Jesus reminding his followers that he has all power in heaven and in earth. And it ends with the promise that he will be with us to the end of the age while we teach others all the things that he has commanded us. Paul wrote to the early Christians, edify and exhort one another. See, we don't have to do sanctification alone or of our own accord because we have each other. Sanctification is our individual work. It is an expectation. It is a requirement. It is a privilege. But discipleship, as we may call sanctification in our vernacular, is a commitment we have to do with one another and it's God's work in us through Christ that's good stuff isn't it? well we need to move on quickly one more tense to our salvation one more piece of the doctrine one more word one more thought justification is the past tense of salvation sanctification is the present tense as we continue to grow in Christ and here's the last point when we sing the fourth verse of Breathe on Me, Breath of God, we are being reminded of glorification. Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die, but live with Thee the perfect life of Thine eternity. The future tense of salvation, glorification. Another old hymn that many of us know and love puts it this way. When my life's work has ended and I cross the swelling tide and the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side for His smile will be the first to welcome me. Through the gates to the city in a robe of spotless white He will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of ages, I will mingle with delight, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. Here's another one. When all of my labors and trials are o'er and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear God I adore will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me. Glory for me, when by His grace I shall look on His face, that will be glory, be glory 
for me. Matt Slick of the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry says, glorification is the future and final work of God where He transforms us into the eternal where we will dwell forever free from the presence of sin. Romans 8, 17, we suffer with Christ that we may also be glorified together. Romans 8, 30, and those whom he justifies, he also glorifies. Revelation 19, hallelujah, for the Lord God reigns. Let us therefore rejoice and be glad. Revelation 21, now the dwelling of God is with mankind. They will be his people and he will be their God. There will be no more death or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and everything has become new. So there we have it, beloved. The three phases of our salvation made available through the Holy Trinity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Described to us in Scripture, and underscored in the words of the song that sustains us for today, breathe on me, breath of God. What has happened already for the believer is justification. What continues to take place as we grow in Christ is sanctification. And one day, by and by, in his good time and in his perfect way, we will experience glorification through his ruach and pneuma. Thanks be to God. Let me share this little illustration with you, and with this I close. Several years ago, I had an opportunity to attend a conference where Dr. James Pleitz was the keynote speaker. Dr. Pleitz was a pastor in Florida and Texas before he passed away about a decade ago. Dr. Pleitz told of a vacation he and his family had taken where they visited a certain place where people of the town and others would come in and they would display on the sidewalk their crafts, their, their handiwork, their arts, if you will. And Dr. Pleitz says his family walked up and down the street and they were just smitten by all of the wonderful talent that they saw that people had done and were displaying, but one in particular just caught their eye and they couldn't get away from it. He said there was an elderly gentleman who would, would take a block of wood and without any pattern or direction of any kind, he, he would begin to whittle on that block of wood and before you knew it, why, there was a a representation of a dog, maybe a, maybe a collie or maybe a cocker spaniel or, or maybe a German shepherd. And Dr. Plight said they just were amazed as they watched this man work over and over and over, taking something like this or maybe a rough piece of a tree that had fallen and crafted into the representation of a beautiful dog. And Dr. Plight said he couldn't stand it any longer. And finally he said to the man, how do you do that? How do you take just an old piece of wood without any kind of instructions and craft it into something so beautiful that so looks like some kind of a dog? And the old man, without even hesitating a moment, says, it's really not that hard. I just take the block, 
and I whittle away what don't look like dogs. See, that's what the power of God through Christ and the Holy Spirit does for us in salvation. We come into relationship with Him when we are justified through faith. We are sanctified as He continues to carve away at us and remove all of those things that don't look like and act like Christian. And then one day, we'll be presented faultless before the throne, just like He had in mind from the very beginning. Breathe on me, breath of God, that I might be justified and sanctified and glorified. Amen.